The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. If you have your Bibles and you could turn to Psalm 74, be great. We're taking a break from 1 Peter, considering this community lament from Psalm 74. Last Sunday, I was ironing clothes before church, and I happened upon a problem. Our freezer in the basement, I noticed that the plug had become just a little bit jiggled and had come loose. And I looked at the power supply to the freezer where the light would be on, and it wasn't on. And hearing kind of the horror music in my ears, I lifted up the lid to the freezer and discovered, by virtue of smell, (laughs) that everything was room temperature in the freezer. And so I shut it, (laughs) went to church. And... uh, (laughs) But that afternoon, Kim and I had to deal with the problem. And as we began to remove the contents from the freezer, and she was ahead of me. I did not want to stop her in her wonderful servanthood. She was the one that was leaning over, for the most part, into this freezer. And the smells were unbelievable. I mean, our whole, we had to aerate the whole house, um, particularly the basement and the second floor, because it was horrible. And there was the very bottom there was shrimp and there's a goo and a liquid that comes when your freezer doesn't work for over a week because we had been gone for a week for you know Elise's wedding and I'm sure that thing had been long you know and it was just horrible and everything looked good outwardly until you lifted the lid it didn't take much to jiggle that switch and it was probably when we were ironing some clothes that that switch just that little plug, if it got pulled out a little bit, was no longer plugged in. I give you that by way of illustration to think about our culture right now and our country, because I think it's very easy to become unplugged. We talked about unhinged a few weeks ago, but the idea of being unplugged is that when trouble should trigger prayer, and we're seeing troubles all around us, and troubles within us, and our responses We always want to be growing in faith, hope, and love. And often that's not the case. We see around us and in us fear expressing itself in hopelessness. We're seeing frustration expressing itself in anger and escapism expressing itself in detachment. And what's getting chiseled off of us is faith hope, and love. We have to be plugged in again. And I think this psalm is a great psalm to help us plug in again. And granted, the news has been tough tough to watch for the last few years since the pandemic. We've seen cities being burned, places being looted in our own country. And then with all of the shootings and the rise in violence in D.C., uh, in New York City, And then with these recent shootings, you see Psalm 74, verse 20. If you look down the last 
half of that verse, it says, For the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. And we feel that. And I think for me, what's been troubling in just reading about these recent shootings is when the good guys are thwarted and they don't get the job done. In Buffalo, the, the shooter was shot by a retired police officer. He did his job. He approached. He shot him. Guy's wearing Kevlar vest, and he's got an AR-15. You don't. And, the, and that police officer did his job and is dead. Because now these people are hunting with body armor and, and AR-15s, and they're much harder to get. And so this retired police officer lost his life. And then in, somehow in a confusion, a mix-up, I don't know all what happened in Texas. There's different reports. They've changed the report like 12 times now. But these kids are in, alone with a shooter for almost an hour. And the room next door, where shots have been shot into that room, they're all waiting, and they're calling 911, saying, please come and help. And 911 people are not coming in. They didn't respond for an hour until the tactical unit came in and got the job done. It's terrible to think about what those children, for an hour, had to live with. And the Taiwanese church, you know, the, feel bad for the Asians because they never get talked about. They just, probably most of us probably didn't even hear about the Taiwanese shooting. Did anybody even hear about it in, in California? Okay, good. <laughs> um, it didn't get much press at all in light of Buffalo and Uvalde, but this one, they did what was right. I mean, this guy tactically, stealthily locked all the doors to the building, and he was going to eliminate this whole Presbyterian church and kill all the church attenders. But when the shot started to ring out, the doctor in the room charged him. And in doing so, he lost his life. But he did what he had to do. Then a pastor hit him with a chair. Go, pastor. And the parishioners took electrical extension cords and tied him up after they disarmed him until the police got there and wrapped him up tightly in extension cords. He wasn't going anywhere. And they got the job done. Well, if the U.S. violence stories were not enough, what we're seeing in Ukraine is horrific. War crimes of the Russian military targeting civilians, completely demolishing and destroying cities, bombing hospitals, hotels, and places of refuge for civilians. And this war continues on daily. Like the heartache we feel of what happened in Buffalo and Uvalde, the people of Ukraine have been experiencing for months, and it continues with no reprieve or end in sight. And so the people of God come back to places like Psalm 74, where this is a community lament. This is a low water mark in the Old Testament. And the low water mark, low water mark is when the Babylonians come and they pillage and destroy, and then they burned the temple and destroyed the temple and took the people of God into captivity. And this psalm is written with that in mind. O oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? 
Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They've set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees, and all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profane the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There's no longer any prophet, and there's none among us who knows how long. How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Yet, my, yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise up against you, which goes up continually. Let's pray. Father, teach us how to pray. Thank you that this prayer has been prayed for centuries and centuries, that Jesus himself prayed this prayer. Father, we ask that you'd open up our eyes to understand your heart, and may our disordered affections become ordered, that we might know how to properly take the things that hurt us, the difficulties of this life, and may trouble trigger prayer, and may we learn how to pray and draw near to you. Minister your grace to us, we ask. Holy Spirit, work in each of us for good, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this was the low water mark of the Old Testament. Well, I, if you were to say, what's the great high water mark? Well, if you were in Sunday school in our class, we were looking at, at 1 Kings 8. It's also in 2 Chronicles 5, but it's the building where Solomon builds the temple. And not only does he build the temple, he purposely has, waits to dedicate it till it's during the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And that feast was to remember the wandering where God provided for his people in the wilderness. 
that the people of God were led by the ark and they're led by the pillar of fire and cloudy pillar where God's presence was with them. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Lights because they would put all of these lights and torches and they would live in tents and they would dwell for a week and they would remember how God provided for his people in the wilderness. But it was a very unsteady time. There was no permanence, no temple. All they had was a portable tabernacle and the ark would be placed in the Holy of Holies. But when the tabernacle... uh, was completed, God's Shekinah glory came down and the people at the end of Exodus, they weren't, able to minister, they weren't able to minister because God's glory showed up. Well, the same thing happened in 1 Kings 8 where Solomon dedicates this elaborate and beautiful temple, carvings of wood and elaborate decorations throughout this temple and the ark is then brought into the temple, this great moment, and God shows up again with his Shekinah glory, and Shekinah is this Hebrew word for dwelling, that the glory of God shows up, and God comes down, and the people are overwhelmed, and once again, they can't remain in the temple because his glory is so great. Well, if that's the high water mark, the low water mark, for us to really understand what happened when the Babylonians come and they ransacked Jerusalem, plundered the city, destroyed the temple. And we're told here in verse 7, they set your sanctuary on fire. You know, they broke it down with hatchets and hammers, all this carved wood that had taken so long to make. And they brought all these beautiful things in and they just come hacking to pieces and swinging their axes and their hammers and destroying all the stuff in the temple. And then they burned it down. And for the people of God, what, they're, what, what this psalmist, this uh, Asaph is praying back to the Lord is, They've set up their own signs for signs. And then in verse 9, we do not see our signs. Meaning all the things that marked off your presence with us are no longer there. The ark, not there. The uh, candles, the, all of the marks of God's being with his people, the, the cherubim, all the things that were just gone. And instead they were replaced with Babylonian signs of their gods. And so this psalmist is working through this problem. That's the first 11 verses. It's a lament. It's a community lament. And the first 11 verses are all outlining the problem. But then when you get to verses 12 to 17, we see the pivot. And so often in the Psalms, you get the pivot. And the pivot is that faith is now exercised and it's taking on the problem. And the two have to reconcile themselves. And so you see the pivot of faith in 12 to 17. So we have the problem, the pivot, and then the prayers. Verses 18 to 23 are prayers. And so the problem begins, the first 11 verses, the lament, the complaint, begins with why. And that that bookend ends in verse 11 with another why. 
So it begins with, why do you cast us off forever? And why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? And then verse 11, why do you hold back your hand, your right hand, take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them? And so the people of God very much feel what they're dealing with in context is the reason that the Babylonians came and and plundered them was because of Israel's sin. And it was foretold and prophesied that this would happen as Jeremiah speaks abundantly of. But if you read Lamentations 2, verses 5 to 9, it's he did it, he did it. And it's God using the Babylonians. And even the whole book of Habakkuk is you're wrestling through this prophet of why aren't you doing anything, God? Your people are sinning all the time and you're not doing anything. And God says, well, I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're going to come and, dis- they're going to come and destroy you. And then Habakkuk is like, well, they're worse than we are. How can, you do, how can you use them? And God's reply is the righteous live by faith. And God can use a crooked stick. And I'm going to destroy them too, the Babylonians. And the book of Habakkuk ends with Habakkuk embracing the burden and praying this psalm. Or praying a psalm of like, I'll rejoice in the Lord my Savior, even though there's no... No sheep in the stalls, you know, no cattle in the stalls. There's no fruit on the vines. It's all looking terrible, but I will rejoice. Well, here the psalmist is dealing with the same issue of why, Lord? Why are you you're doing this to us? Why have you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? But then in verse 11, it's why do you hold your hand? Why don't you, why do you hold your hand back, your right hand? Take out your sword. And bring vengeance is the prayer. You're going to take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. And then in the midst of these whys, you have a how long, verse 10. And this is a very common refrain in the Psalms. And I think it's proper for God's people. God can handle your whys. He can handle your why complaints to him. Take them to the Lord rather than social media. Take them to the Lord rather than on your family. Take them to the Lord. How long? How long is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? You see, these, are not, these things are not new. When you get to the end of the psalm, and it's the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. This has been going on for a long time, thousands of years. What's happening in America is we've just joined the rest of the world. And what's been happening for so long. But the how longs, just, just, just take them in for a minute. Here's some of the how longs in the Psalms. How long shall my glory be turned to shame? How long will, the, will you love vain words and seek after lies? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long, O Lord, will you look on, rescue me from their destruction? How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? How long, O Lord, will you hide your yourself forever. How long will your wrath burn like fire? Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. O Lord, have pity on your servants. How long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? And then in this psalm, how long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile 
your name forever. And so the people of God are in great distress. And as Matthew Henry says on verse 7, with the fire to the sanctuary, he says, axes and hammers were not sufficient for the purpose of the destroyers. They must needs try fire. Malice knows no bounds. Those who hate God are never sparing of the most cruel weapons. To this day, the enmity of the human heart is quite as great as ever. And if providence did not restrain, the saints would still be as fuel for the flames. They have deviled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They made a heap of the temple and left not one stone upon another. And now the people of God don't have any signs. Verse 4 and verse, verse 9, you know, the signs like, you know, if, if, if your beloved loves you, you've, you know, you see a sign like sometimes a locket of their hair, you know, here, have this, you know, as you go off to war you know, God's sign was his temple, but it was the ark, the cherubim, the altar, the lampstand. And now it's all gone. Why are you not doing anything? The people of God are crying out. I think it's helpful for us to remember Jesus. Listen to this. Athanasius, early church father, wrote to a friend in his illness who was reading the Psalms. And Athanasius wrote to him and said, before Christ came among us, God sketched the likeness of Christ's perfect life for us in words in the book of Psalms. The writers were writing by the Spirit of Christ. These are the prayers of Christ. It's in these Psalms that you learn the affections of Christ and the prayers of Christ. This is where we learn how to pray. We have to learn the rudiments so that we know how to pray, because so many things in, in the Psalms, they're hard. Like, this isn't a Psalm that gets preached much or gets talked about much. You won't find any... I, I found one person who was really helpful, Christopher Ash. He's very helpful in the sermon, but hardly anybody preaches on some... We tend to like particular Psalms, you know, certain phrases... The ones that are easy, you know, your face, O Lord, do I seek? You know, seek my face, O Lord, O Lord, your face do I seek? You know, we, there's certain ones that we like, you know. But some of these are hard. I mean, asking God to arise, like, is God asleep? How long? Why? Why do you hold back your hand? Take it from the fold of your garment? These are Jesus' prayers. They're Jesus' prayers before they're ours, as Bonhoeffer said. Augustine referred to Jesus as the great song leader of his church, and these are the songs that he sang. And in Luke 19, we are told that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. He didn't just weep at Lazarus' tomb, but he wept over a city. And when he wept over the city of Jerusalem, you can't help wonder if this psalm was on his heart. We're told in, in Luke 19, verse 41, that he drew near, saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, would that you, even, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
And as Mike Nola reminded us in Sunday school, that his visitation was the very next passages where he comes and, and drives out the people in the temple. He drives out the workers. And once again, the Shekinah glory has arrived in the temple. It's Jesus, the time of his visitation. But the people of God didn't see it. The Israelites missed it. But Jesus can see what's going to happen to them. He sees the barricade. He sees the plundering, the pillaging of a city being ruined. And he weeps over the city. And this is what many of us have seen in just watching the news. And we continue to see it. So what do we do? Oh, we have to pivot. We have to pivot. The pivot of faith what we believe has to engage with where we grieve. What we believe has to engage with where we grieve. And that's where prayer comes in. And so the psalmist says, yet, God my king is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. He reminds himself, you divided the sea by, by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him his food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. You see, he recalls the Red Sea. And the great monster of the Old Testament is, as Pharaoh and the Egyptian army is often the metaphor of these great uh, monsters that are there, these sea monsters, and they're things that, that get pulled up out of the sea sometimes, and they're just amazing. Did you know that in 2000, and, I think it was 2007 or something, there, there, out from New Zealand, there was the boat that was catching these, these big fish that they sell as Chilean sea bass, but it's not really Chilean sea bass, it's some type of toothfish. But they hooked a thousand pound something. And it took them two hours to pull this thing up. And when they pulled it up, it was a squid that was 39 feet long and weighed 990 pounds. And they're very aggressive. <laughs> there are amazing things in the sea that, that are enough to like... Woohoo! You know, and, and so the people of God of old knew the sea is like this idea of chaos. Well, the people of, of, of God, ensnared under Pharaoh and under the Egyptian army, they take that metaphor and they apply the monster. The monster in their day was Pharaoh, and it was the Egyptian army. But through the sea they went on dry ground, and God crushed the Egyptian army and won this great victory. And out of the chaos of the sea, which is so often the imagery of, of the sea is this idea that <clears throat> there, there's chaos. And so when we get to Book of Revelation and we're told that there, <clears throat> there will be no more sea, the idea is that chaos is finally ended. It doesn't mean there won't be any beach in the new heavens and new earth. There will be. But the, the great dragon and monsters have been of old, have been defeated. God did deliver his people, and he still continues to do so. But we do still face giants. There are still Goliaths that have to be conquered. And there are spiritual warfare. And there's, there is things at play right now that, that should remind us that there, there, are, there is evil at work. 
You can't tell me that the very things that are happening, where somebody is live streaming and saying they're going in, and they're live streaming going into a supermarket and utter hatred trying to just wipe out people. That is of the devil. There are still bad things happening, but God in the past has won these victories. And so the psalmist is able to take heart. Look what you did. Reminding himself that these great monsters of old were brought down. And that yours is the day. Yours is the night. You've established <clears throat> the heavenly lights of the sun. You've fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You've made summer and winter. And so we're reminded that our God is still in charge. It's this idea that day, night, boundaries of the earth. God created the sea and he told the sea this far and no further. And here are the boundaries. And we still have this order of summer and winter because there's so often, you know, with our disordered affections, when we see things that are chaotic, we begin to think everything is spinning out of control. And we forget that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And for him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile <clears throat> to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, make him peace by the blood of his cross." Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He's still upholding the universe by the word of his power. There are still fixed seasons. There's still day. There's still night. And God is the one who created them, and he's upholding them. He has his purposes, and we don't know them. We know some of them. But he has made us see hard things, as the Bible says. You've made us see hard things. <clears throat> but we have to, the, there has to be a pivot of faith, of re-engaging, reminding ourselves of God's deeds of old and his power and his faithfulness to his people. And then we cling in prayer. Eight times in, this, in, in the Psalms, God is called upon to arise. And we see in verses 18 to 23, there's this prayer of, arise, O God, defend your cause. These are image bearers. You're image bearers. How the foolish scoff at you all the day. They think they can do this, and there's no repercussions. Well, I would say to us this morning, has it occurred to us that God did arise? He has answered this prayer. You see, if you reconsider this psalm again through the lens of, of Jesus, so you take off the lens of how when the psalmist wrote it, and yet the Spirit of Christ is working through him, and it's a human author writing, but the Holy Spirit is also writing through him. The temple was torn down. The temple was pillaged and destroyed. And what we see when we move to the New Testament is that the temple has moved from a physical place. You're neither going to worship on this mountain or that mountain, as Jesus says, right? But Jesus comes, he is the temple, and the temple moves from a physical place to a physical person. And he says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll build it again. 
So if Psalm 74 is the low watermark of the Old Testament, when the temple is destroyed and the people of God are destitute and they don't have the presence of God with them, without the tabernacle, without the Holy of Holies, and without the ark, what do you have? You have a candlestick without a candle. You have a body without a soul. The people of God without the temple is the worst possible thing. Well, if that's the low watermark of the Old Testament, where is it in the New Testament? It's between Friday and Sunday morning on the cross. It's Saturday. This is a Saturday psalm. It's the Saturday when, when the disciples have nothing. Where is our Lord? He's been killed and Joseph of Arimathea takes him down and he's given the body and they put him in a tomb and they put a big stone and they seal the tomb and that's it. What are we going to do? We have nothing. Saturday was a bummer of a day for God's people. But Sunday came. Sunday came. God arose. The government will be upon his shoulder. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his peace and government, there'll be no end. The throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so we live now in this tension of the already and the not yet. As Paul writes in Romans 8, that I consider that the, pres- the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. But not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I recently saw Andrew Peterson in concert. I love his music. The reason I love it as I feel like he plays the violin in my heart, like the heartstrings, he, he expresses this in song, and we sang it. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. It is, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? 
the Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He's David's root and the Lamb who, who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He's David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slain from every people and tribe, every nation and tongue. He's made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? He is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have been raised to end the Saturdays of utter gloom. We thank you that your presence is now with us. You live in our hearts and reign with your people. And we do inwardly groan as we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies, a renewed creation, the restoration of all things. No more mourning, no more crying, no more tears, no more sin. And all of our disordered affections, where instead of faith we see unbelief, instead of hope we get depressed, Instead of love, we pull away and we get angry. Forgive us, O oh God. Renew our faith and our hope that we would be a people of love and help us to press on and to wait for it with patience. You are worthy, Lord Jesus. Strengthen your church. We ask, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen.